everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris, and in this episode, I want to talk about two key Bible prophecy-related subjects, which are the last trumpet in 1 Corinthians 15, as well as the so-called accordion theory. I'm not sure who named it that, but the idea that the seals, trumpets, and bowls in the book of Revelation are essentially the same. So the first seal would be the same as the first trumpet, which would be the same as the first bowl, and so on and so forth. And they're related in some teachings, but they're not necessarily related. They're kind of two different subjects. My main thought process here for this episode is doing some more pre preliminary research to kind of check my facts and make sure what I think I know, I know, and do some additional research on these subjects. And since I have a theory of that the end times are not yet, and we haven't seen the signs we're supposed to be looking for yet, namely that the birth pains are, are not occurring yet. They are not or have not been occurring over the last hundred years or a thousand years or whatever people say about that, but they are in fact supposed to coincide with the seals and therefore start essentially with the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel, which is a yet future event. I realized this uh, week after getting some emails about this that a lot of people will take this idea to mean that there uh, are no signs except for, and I think I made this sort of sound like this in the last episode, that there are no signs other than the abomination of desolation at the midpoint that we're supposed to watch for. And that's not what I meant. I meant, I meant mostly that in the Olivet Discourse, those are the signs that he's talking about um, to watch for. But that is not to say that that's all that we can know in terms of watching for the end times approaching. As I've mentioned before, I think that the primary thing that we should be able to see uh, first is the rise of the Ten Kings, particularly this, uh, this Ten King bureaucracy that I believe, but cannot prove, is going to be in and around the Mediterranean Sea. I also think that we, that I, and I think that that must come before the Antichrist even comes on the scene, like day one of the Antichrist he, he can't come on the scene until that bureaucracy is already well-established, uh, as, as I think that's the reading of Daniel 7, for example. But um, he subdues three of those kings, so he's in opposition to this world government system. He defeats three of them. I suspect that those wars are uh, pictured in Daniel 11, 40 through 45, and that, for example, one of those kings is probably Egypt. And I think that the, it's no surprise that he conquers the, uh, the kings that are close to Israel, because I think that the ten kings are the last head of the beast. It's got a two-stage uh, thing, according to Revelation 17. There's a, it, this last head is kind of two heads. It's sort of an eighth, but it's also one of the seven. It's got a two-phase thing. Its first phase is this pre-Antichrist phase, and the next phase is the um, those 10 kings give their authority all to the one who has conquered them. After he subdues the three, they all just say, okay, you're in charge now. We give it all to you. So the bureaucracy and the geography of the bureaucracy doesn't change. The head doesn't change. But now it's a theocracy which uh, worships the Antichrist and uh, follows the dictates of the Antichrist and the false prophet, etc. And I didn't mean to go off on this, but let me just continue. The idea is that he destroys those that are in and around Israel to set up a what you know was promised to Abraham, so-called greater Israel, and, and he's liberating. He's liberating Israel. We're all going to cheer him and say, wow, the new world order is dead, and now this guy has liberated Israel, which 
I think is an interesting thing in and of itself, because one of the things that you have to, the necessary outcome of re recognizing that one of the heads of the beast must control Israel, that's what uh, Egypt and Assyria and all the other heads of the beast did, is controlled Israel. That's why they were beasts, is that is they were not just attempts of the Antichrist to control the world and history. They were attempts of the Antichrist to control the world and history by and primarily through controlling Israel. Um, or at least maybe not primarily in the case of the uh, past ones. Rome wasn't particularly concerned about the fact that it controlled Israel, for example, but it did uh, have uh, control over Israel's destiny. Well, I'm way off track now, so let's get into the last trumpet concept. The first thing I want to say about this is that the last trumpet concept is a springboard for multiple false teachings, or I believe to be false teachings, that don't necessarily have the same um, conclusions about it. So post-tribbers, for example, will say, will flip to 1 Corinthians 15 as the first thing to, to convince you of post-tribulationalism, and they'll say, look, Paul says the rapture will happen at the last trumpet. And we go to Revelation and we look, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven trumpets. This is where the rapture happens. And so therefore, you know, post-tribulationalism or something. Um, whereas pre-tribbers will start with the last trumpet concept if they're trying to tell you that the rapture will happen, you know, at the next Rosh Hashanah, you know, this year or next year. They've been doing that for as long as I can remember every Rosh Hashanah, the rapture is supposed to happen according to pre-tribbers. So, and they'll flip to 1 Corinthians 15, even though they don't think that last trumpet means the last trumpet in Revelation. Also, some people will start with the last trumpet concept when they are trying to talk about the accordion theory, which we'll deal with at length later. So my point here is that this meaning of the last trumpet is interpreted in at least three different ways, which are not compatible. So three different common false teachings begin by quoting 1 Corinthians 15, 51 about the last trumpet. So let's first understand that this isn't the only time that Paul talks about the rapture unambiguously and refers to a trumpet. He also does that in probably the most famous rapture passage, which is in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting with, let's see, let's start with verse 15. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. The thing to notice here is that not only is Paul associating a trumpet sound with the rapture again, but he is not using the last concept here. So it's the trumpet of God here. He mentions a cry of command, which will be important later, the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, but not the last trumpet. All right, so Paul has got it in his head somehow that a trumpet is associated with the rapture. Could this be from divine revelation? Maybe it could be, but as pre-rathers uh, know, and the reason that they know it is because they don't have the false illusion that the largest teaching on the end times given by the Lord, sometimes called the Olivet Discourse, does in fact refer to the rapture, the same thing that the early church unanimously also believed, but is not believed uh, by pre-tribbers. And so pre-tribbers really can't see what I'm about to 
say. They, they can't see, for example, that 2 Thessalonians 2 is a reference to Jesus's teaching of the Olivet Discourse. And so they will not also be able to see what I'm about to say, which is that Paul is calling the rapture having to do with the trumpet of God because he's referencing what the Lord's teaching on the subject of the rapture was in the Olivet Discourse, which we'll start reading uh, in Matthew 24, starting in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, and in context, those days is referring to the persecution that follows the abomination of desolation at the midpoint. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. In case you're new to all this, you should check out the uh, film that uh, I and Alan Kirshner did called Seven Preacher Problems and the Pre-Wrath Rapture. But to, uh, to kind of clarify what's happening here, according to the pre-wrath view, is that the rapture takes place after the persecution of the Antichrist at the midpoint. We don't know how long after the midpoint it takes place. It could be weeks, it could be years, but it will be after the midpoint. Uh, the rapture will take place. The very same day that the rapture takes place, the day of the Lord will begin, which is why it says it like that, that the sun, moon, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven. That is unambiguous day of the Lord language, which we see from Joel 2.31, which says that that event, the sun being darkened and the moon not giving its light and the stars falling from heaven, will herald the beginning of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the beginning of the wrath of God on the wicked. So we have more or less explicit proof here that the rapture takes place after the midpoint, but before the wrath of God. What do we learn for our purposes about the last trumpet here? Well, we first realize, I think, why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 associates the trumpet call with the rapture because the Lord also does the same thing here. But another thing I want to draw your attention to is something that Paul would have also noticed about this passage. If we can grant the idea that Paul may have twice used the trumpet call in association with the rapture because the Lord does the same thing in Matthew 24, I think we can also assume that Paul would have noticed that this rapture and trumpet call is associated with the herald of the day of the Lord, according to Joel 2.31, the celestial disturbance sign, with the sun being darkened and the moon will not give its light. Basically an obvious sign of the day of the Lord. So if you're following me, Paul now knows two things from studying the Lord's Olivet Discourse. He knows that the rapture, which is associated with an Old Testament concept, which is the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the dead will happen basically in association with the herald of the day of the Lord. So he knows that the resurrection and the day of the Lord are linked. And now he's been um, alerted to this trumpet concept in association with that. I would also argue that Paul, being maybe one of the most brilliant scholars of the Old Testament of all time, perhaps, already knew that a trumpet was connected to the day of the Lord. But he did not know that that trumpet was connected to the resurrection of the dead. Or he may have known that too. I don't know. But Certainly, this would have alerted him to that. 
But the reason I say that he would have already known that a trumpet was connected to the day of the Lord was because of Zephaniah 1, 14 through 16, which says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. Before I go into what Zephaniah is talking about with this trumpet, because I think this trumpet mentioned here in Zephaniah is the key to everything and sort of opens up this whole doorway to the Old Testament. But before I get to that, I want to mention another thing that he says, which is that the day of the Lord is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now, that's something that Joel also says. Joel says, talking about the day of the Lord, he says, the day of the Lord is coming and is near. This is in Joel 2, verses 1 through 2. Uh, the day of the Lord is coming, it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. So he uses the same phrase, I'm not sure right now which came first, Joel or Zephaniah, but they're using the same phrase to talk about the day of the Lord. Now, Joel goes into much detail, uh, much more detail about this day of darkness. He goes on to, to talk about in several different ways how the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light before the day of the Lord. He says it will happen just before the wrath of God is poured out. We'll see this sign in the heavens that will let us know that the day of the Lord, the wrath of God, is imminent. So Zephaniah is using the same phrase, a day of clouds and thick darkness and darkness and gloom. So an Old Testament scholar like Paul would definitely know that this is talking about the eschatological day of the Lord. And he would have already, it, now it's this perfect symphony now because the Lord in his all of a discourse has connected all these things. He's connected the sun, moon, and stars growing dark, the gathering of the elect, the, the resurrection, as well as the trumpet call, which we now see is also connected with all this because Zephaniah says a day of trumpet blast and battle cry. So now we, we've got all this information that a person would know about the day of the Lord, but this in Zephaniah opens up a, a new door for us. He says a day of trumpet blast and battle cry. It's the battle cry that really connects us to the Old Testament, the, the five books of Moses, particularly the book of Numbers. But before we get there, I do want to talk about the last trumpet. We already saw that Paul in 1 Corinthians calls it the last trumpet, but he also in 1 Thessalonians doesn't mention the word last. So the word last there in 1 Corinthians 15 is the word eschatos. It is the word where we get eschatology. So it can mean last in a series, as we use the word last. Uh, it's got a lot of definitions that are kind of similar to the way that we use the word last in English. But because it's eschatos, it also can mean like the eschatos trumpet, the last day's trumpet, the trumpet that is connected with the day of the Lord. If in Paul's mind, there was a trumpet connected to the day of the Lord, which was to him the beginning of the end times. It is the wrath of God finally being vindicated is this trumpet. If he called it the eschatos trumpet, and Paul already knew that Zephaniah existed, that was connected to Joel, which was connected to the Olivet Discourse, then that is exactly what we would expect. But we're not there yet. So let's look at numbers, and we're going to look at chapter 10. This is where God told Moses to make two silver trumpets. 
I'm just going to read Numbers 10 verses 1 through 9, so a lot of text here, bear with me. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets, of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. And when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the chiefs, the heads of the tribes of Israel, shall gather themselves to you. But when you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps on the south side shall set out. And the alarm is to be blown whenever they are to set out. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, hmm, that's an interesting phrase, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound the alarm. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be to you a perpetual statute for your generations. And here is a, a really interesting verse in Numbers 10 verse 9, which says, And when you go to war in your land against your adversary who oppresses you, you shall then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before your Lord God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. So these silver trumpets were made to be signals for a couple different things, for two things mainly. They were made to gather people together, to gather God's people, either just all the people or sometimes just the priests, but it, they were a signal to gather people together. But it was also a signal to go to war. And you can follow this concept here and other places, but it's not just, hey, it's now time for war. It's a calling to go to war so that God would deliver them from their adversaries. It's almost like a call for God to vindicate them, to, to go to war on their behalf, if you will. And that last verse, and when you go to war in your land against your adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. So what I'm trying to say here is that there, this, which I think is connected to exactly what the rapture is. Remember, the rapture is a gathering of the elect together to meet the Lord in the air, as well as the same day begins the wrath of God, the day of gloom and thick darkness. And it's really bad. That's why the New Testament speaks of the day of the Lord in two different ways that are diametrically op opposed. It is the day of rewards. It was the day that we look forward to. It's the day, the day of the Lord in the New Testament is a great thing when spoken of about a Christian but it is also spoken of as the worst thing ever for those who are not Christians, because it is a day of gathering together, but it's also a day of going to war against those who are oppressing us. So the silver trumpets are the perfect example of what the day of the Lord is, because it says that the day of the Lord is a day of trumpet blast and battle cry. And so we remember from reading that Numbers 10 passage that when you blow the trumpet and sound the alarm, and the alarm, if you look that word up in Hebrew, it's just, it sounds like it's just a battle cry. It's people yelling. Or I, I don't actually know what, what's happening there. I don't know if it's a different connected, but it sort of becomes this alarm, cry, shout idea. And Zephaniah says, we should connect the day of the Lord with that last thing in Numbers 10, which is when you sound the trumpet and you do the battle cry, that's when the Lord will go to battle on your behalf and, 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 and fix everything, basically. So the day of the trumpet blast and battle cry is connected to the day of the Lord, which now ties us all together with this. One conclusion of this study is that this means that the rapture is not, as so many 
particularly pre-tribbers over the last few years have taught, the rapture is not connected to Rosh Hashanah and the ram's horns, which is a different concept. And all the teachings that try to make the rapture happen at Rosh Hashanah, which is the first of the fall feasts, is not right. And let me give you one more reason I think is pretty conclusive that the rapture is not going to be connected with Rosh Hashanah. And this gets a little bit in the weeds, but those of you that know Bible prophecy will, will be following this pretty well, I think. If the rapture was connected with Rosh Hashanah, it would violate the fulfillment pattern. So a lot of the reasons that people like the idea that the rapture will happen at Rosh Hashanah is because the, the first the feasts uh, were fulfilled. There's a pattern of fulfillment with the feast that Jesus fulfilled. For example, Passover at, you know, at Passover and the crucifixion, first fr fruits and unleavened bread and all that stuff. And then concluding with Pentecost, of course, where uh, the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, which there's a 50 day period when those feasts were occurring, you know, between Passover and Pentecost, there's about whatever, something like 50 days. And they occurred on the day that those feasts occurred and, you know, Jesus himself does, does all this to sort of show that he's fulfilling the Passover. I even think that last drink of wine, uh, the sour wine before he um, uh, dies on the cross, is the sort of last fulfillment of that uh, uh, issue. And I, I totally agree with that. But what I also agree with is that there will be a similar fulfillment of the rest of the feasts that have not been fulfilled yet, things like Rosh Hashanah. And they start with Rosh Hashanah and conclude with the Day of Atonement feast, okay? So Rosh Hashanah all the way up to Day of Atonement. And so people like the idea that Rosh Hashanah will be the rapture since it's the first of the fall feast. So like, it's kind of like, and you can see where the thought process would be. Well, the rapture is kind of the first thing in a lot of pre-trippers' minds that's supposed to happen next. So, um, maybe that's when the whole fall feast starts. So they begin with the last trumpet, they end with that kind of concept that it's the next feast, and the rest is basically, hey, trumpets are there and ram's horns are trumpets. So it's kind of, in my opinion, a little uh, uh, surface level. But the reason that Rosh Hashanah being connected with the rapture would violate the fulfillment pattern is because pretty much everybody agrees that the Day of Atonement feast, when it is fulfilled, it will be at the end, the last day of the 70th week of Daniel. The Day of Atonement will be the last day of the 70th week of Daniel. Um, and the problem with that is that if the feasts are going to be fulfilled like they were the first time, meaning that they were fulfilled on the same day that the feasts actually occur, it necessitates that Rosh Hashanah will be 21 days before the Day of Atonement. So if we know for sure that the fulfillment of the fall feast uh, the Day of Atonement will be the last day of the seven-year period, then Rosh Hashanah has to be 21 days before that. And that is, nobody thinks the rapture will be 21 days before the, uh, well, maybe post-tribbers have some kind of version where they think that, but but it, it it's totally in the wrath of God at that point. I mean, the fifth trumpet, for example, is five months long, which means that there's just no way to make 21 days before the uh, 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 end of the 70th week, not the wrath of God. So therefore, no one believes that Rosh Hashanah will be 21 days before the end of the 70th week. And therefore, it violates the fulfillment pattern the way that the feasts were fulfilled the first time, meaning that they occurred at the day, on the actual days that the feasts occurred, not one year, two separated by many, many years or anything like that. 
I mean, it could possibly be that they're separated by multiple years than the next time, but it just doesn't seem like it would be fulfilled in a completely different way. This is a good time to talk about another reason that people like the idea that the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelations is what Paul was talking about when he says the last trumpet is because when you read the text of what happens at the seventh trumpet, it's clearly a momentous occasion. And I think that they say, well, look, this is clearly something is happening here. This is like a conclusion of something. Something big is happening at the seventh trumpet. So that's what it must mean. Um, but I would say the reason it's momentous is because the seventh trumpet marks the end of the 70th week of Daniel. It is, it is the beginning. It, Daniel 9's prophecy of the 70 weeks, 70 weeks are determined for, let me read what it says, 70 weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. So, you know, if, if, if that's what we were seeing in the, seven, in, the, in the seventh trumpet, which I would argue it is, essentially, that we're seeing that the the conclusion of the seven-year period and all the promises that Daniel made and that God made in Daniel um, are being concluded. Yes, something momentous is happening, but it's not the rapture. So let me read the, um, what, the text of the seventh trumpet. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign, uh, etc. So the idea here is that we have the reigning of, of God beginning. The bowls are still chronological. Now we're going to talk about that in the next section here. But the bowls as uh, just uh, are occurring in that last 30 days after the end of the 70 year period. So Daniel tells us that there is actually a 30 day period after the end of the seven year period followed by a 45-day period. Blessed is he who waits to the end of the 1,335 days or whatever. So there are two additional periods that total to 75 days, sometimes called the restoration period and the reclamation period. I think it's reclamation period and then the restoration period in which the bowls of wrath are poured out in a relatively short amount of time. And then the, uh, uh, the reclamation period is also happening here. I talked about this a little bit in the timeline series in the section about Armageddon and how it's really interesting. You can follow essentially the Lord from Basra uh, taking probably what is the 144,000 uh, from there all the way up to Mount Zion, which, where he declares essentially, hey, the kingdom of the Lords are, are now mine, except it's in, it's right before something really bad happens, which is just no way around. You've got this weird victory happening, but you also have him splitting the Mount of Olives, which we know from Zechariah is when he, he splits it so that he can hide this group that he brought from Basra to, 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 to hide because it's about to get really serious with the last bowls of wrath. And so there is a claiming of the kingdom in the midst of more wrath to be poured out. One other thing on the seventh trumpet, if you believe that the rapture occurs at the seventh trumpet, you're kind of stuck in the post-trib feedback loop where, because the trumpets are obviously the wrath of God. I mean, it's explicitly the wrath of God. So you're stuck saying that the, the church is on earth during the wrath of God. The one thing that literally all the positions agree will not happen but the way that they get around it in post-trib is say, well, they're supernaturally protected through the wrath of God, uh, much like the 144,000 are sealed 
and can be in the wrath of God, but sort of be protected. They say that just apply that to the church as well. And that's really what's happening. And that's how they get around the idea. And that brings us back full circle, because I think that the reason they have to do that is because they, of 1 Corinthians 15 and the concept of the last trumpet, they start from there and say, well, the one thing that we know is that Paul says the rapture will be at the last trumpet. And since the last trumpet in Revelation is at Revelation 7, case closed, end of story. So it's because of the misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 15 that all kinds of bad stuff comes about. So if you followed what I was saying about how, you know, 1 Corinthians is connected to 2 Thessalonians, which I think actually 2 Thessalonians brings out the Numbers 10 concept as well. I didn't go through that as much as I probably could have. Uh, he mentions the cry of uh, the, the shout and all this kind of stuff too there. And that's connected, of course, to the Lord's teaching on the Mount of Olives, which points us to Zephaniah, which points to Joel or how, whoever came first there. I'm not quite sure. But either way, both of those are pointing back to Numbers 10. And I think you could even go further and maybe say that it's all connected to Sinai, where there was a trumpet that was apparently blown by God or angels or somebody that called uh, them up to the mountain. There's more to that story too, which the trumpet is the voice of God. I, I know there's a whole thing there too, but um, anyway, I'll, I'll leave it there and let's move on to this idea of the accordion theory. So again, this is a name for the theory that the seals, trumpets, and bowls are really the same thing. So seal one is the same as trumpet one, which is the same as bowl one. They're kind of squished together. They all say different aspects of the same thing. That's the accordion theory. Now, um, this has been refuted by, I think Kirshner will often say something which I totally agree with. It should be case closed, which is that they ca that can't be true because the last seal is the seventh seal introduces the angels with the seven trumpets. So the last seal, the seventh seal says this, when the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, etc., etc. So then we go into an interlude briefly, and then we start with the uh, trumpets, the first trumpet being sounded later on. So this should be enough to say this isn't true. At least it should tell you that the seals are not connected with the trumpets and bowls. You might be able to have an accordion theory with the trumpets and bowls, but definitely not the seals because the last seal introduces the seven trumpets. That should end it, but it doesn't end it. So let's go a little further. So what I did for this study is I made a Word document where I just took three different columns. One, I put the seals, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seals. One column, I put the trumpets, and one column, I put the bowls. And I just highlighted in red or green anything that was similar and anything that was different between the seals, trumpets, and bowls. So seal one was different than trumpet one, which was different than bowl one. That's something, the first thing that I noticed. But I'll get into that. This is going to be a little difficult to describe, so I'll try my best to, to discuss it visually. But the first thing I want to say about this is that, to me, there is obviously supposed to be parallels between some of the trumpets and some of the bowls, but not the seals. The first thing I noticed when highlighting what was similar and different about each of these is that the seals are not connected to any of this. 
The seals have no similarities between any of the corresponding trumpets or bowls. They are separate entities, and so it's no surprise, as we just saw, that the last seal introduces the trumpets. So at the very least, what a person could do is say that the trumpets, there's an accordion theory with just the trumpets and bowls. But I would say that's also not true. But I would, I would need to say this first and foremost. There is, in my opinion, supposed to be intended parallels between some of the trumpets and some of the bowls. For example, the second trumpet says, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, compare that to the second bowl, the corresponding bowl of wrath, which says, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing in the sea that, that was in the sea died. So we have some things that are similar and some things that are different. One of them says that a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. One of them says that an angel poured his bowl into the sea. Now that could be the same. It could be that we're just given more information in Trumpet 2, which is that it was a great burning fire that caused the sea to become blood. But So that would be reading into it. I would be okay with that. But what I would not be okay with is how it continues. It says, yes, the sea became blood, but in the trumpet, a third of the living creatures died, a third of the ships were destroyed, etc. Whereas in the second bowl, every living thing in the sea died. Now that is a, the kind of contradiction that I just can't do. And it is certainly not the only deal breaker level contradiction that you are forced to, to deal with in this theory. And so I think that, again, this is kind of a surface level thing. People see that there is an intended parallel and they say, these things are obviously the same. Hey, I got an idea. I bet they're all the same. I bet the first and second, first seal and the second seal and the third seal are all the same thing just because they see these minor parallels and they're willing to accept the contradictions. So let's move on to a few other examples. Starting off with the first one, it says, with a seal, now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice, like thunder come and I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. So the first seal has something to do with a warlike rider conquering. The first trumpet says this, the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were all burned up and the green grass was burned up. So you got to really stretch that to make that have anything to do with the seals. And by the way, as I said, the seals never have anything to do with the trumpets as far as I can tell. So let's look at the bowl. Does the bowl have anything to do with fire being mixed with blood and thrown under the earth and everything getting burned up? This is what the first bowl says. So when the angel, angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So... This is just not the same thing as everything burning up. This is talking about the mark of the beast and sores. Now, the first seal, trumpet, and bowl are really the only one where there's no parallel. I think the rest of them, to their credit, there's at least something. But that first one is kind of like that second deal breaker about a third. Is it a third or is it every living thing in the sea that died? This is another one of those deal breakers. Are you going to make the, the painful sores because of the mark of the beast be the same thing as the earth being 
a third of the trees and green grass being burned up is the same thing as the rider with the bow conquering. Now you can stretch it, but let's just be honest, that's just not a parallel in the same way that the others at least are. So moving on. We already read the second one. It was the one with the Great Burning Mountain thrown into the sea. The third one is the first, uh, the third seal. When he opened up the third seal, living creatures said, Come and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand and heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for, barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. So this is talking about uh, food scarcity. The uh, third angel blowing his trumpet says a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water the name of the star is wormwood and a third of the a third of the waters became wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter so this obviously doesn't have any connection to the famine i mean it doesn't but the third bowl does seem to have a parallel it says the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. So it's not bitter, but it's blood. And I heard the angel in charge say of, of the water say, just as you are a holy one who is and who was, for you bought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, the Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So the rivers and springs are mentioned, that exact same phrase is mentioned in the trumpet, the rivers and springs. One is wormwood and making bitter and people dying. So there, I don't even have a, a real deal breaker there. That one is just, hey, that, that seems to be connected, right? Um, one says a third of the water. One doesn't really mention how many people are affected. So there are no deal breakers in that one as far as I can tell. Moving on to number four. So the, the seal, uh, the pale horse, its rider was named Death and Hades followed with him and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and with pestilence and with wild beast of the earth. So you've got a number of options here, but still none of those things apply to either the fourth trumpet or the fourth bull. So the fourth trumpet says, he blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Okay, so this is a kind of an interesting thing. We have a darkening by a third for the fourth trumpet. Now the, the, the fourth bowl is clearly supposed to be parallel, but it's also got a deal breaker. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire and they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. So here, the sun is struck by the uh, fourth trumpet, but to darken it. And also it darkens the moon and it darkens the stars. So something, whatever it is, is darkening all the light by a third in the trumpet, but we almost have the opposite thing happening. Yes, it has to do with the sun, but there, it's scorching people with fierce heat. Now, I guess you could come up with an idea of what might scorch people with heat that would also darken it by a third, but you also have to recognize that, hey, maybe this is just a different thing that happens at different stages of the wrath, but it's rhyming to a certain degree. It's in this pattern of, of rhyming with the, with the wrath of God, the, four, the, the trumpets and the bowls, but that they're not the same thing. The fifth version, the seal, is uh, the souls under the altar uh, who had been slain for the word of God. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge those 
uh, our blood on those who dwell on the earth, etc. So we've got the, uh, the fifth seal martyrs here, and that's definitely not connected to the fifth trumpet, which is a star falling from heaven to earth. It was given the key to the bottomless pit, opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and a shaft rose from the smoke of great furnace and, the, and these, you know, the story, the locusts that look like faces of men, they come out and they're stinging people. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it, etc., etc. So we've got this, uh, this opening of the bottomless pit, which these uh, demon-like scorpions come out and torment people for five months. So that's definitely not the tormenting that would have happened with the with the seals again the seals just never have anything to do with any of this but there is maybe a parallel on the fifth bowl but it's kind of get a squint your eyes to see it the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the god of heaven for their pain and their sores they did not repent of their deeds so here it seems to be that the, the bowl is focused on the throne of the beast and throws the kingdom into darkness. This is after, remember the last one, which talked about the sun scorching heat, and now they're plunged into darkness. But then it talks about a pain and anguish and curse of God because of sores. And again, if you squint your eyes, you could say, well, I mean, maybe that's kind of like the locusts who are stinging them. Maybe that would have given them sores and those people did, that would have been pain. So, you know, you got to squint your eyes, but maybe, but just maybe, just maybe. All I would say is there's just no deal breakers there. You know, if that was the case, I'd be like, okay, but it's just not really. But I would be, I couldn't say, well, it can't be. Um, like some of the others, I would say they're deal breakers. Moving on to the sixth one. The seal is, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth and the uh, full moon became like blood. Stars of the sky fell to the earth, and the, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit, when shaken by as the sky vanished like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is the seal. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone. Slave hid themselves in among the rocks and mountains, calling on the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? So this is the when pre-wrathers think that the day of the Lord will happen. It's connected to Matthew 24, 29 through 31. It's basically when the rapture happens just after this, which is why we see the great multitude in heaven just after this appearing that no number, no man can number. But does it have anything to do with the sixth trumpet or sixth bowl? Let's read. The sixth trumpet says, heard a voice, four horns from the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound to the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for that day and hour and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times, 10,000 times. You get the idea. So we've got um, six angel being four angels at the Euphrates that were prepared for that day and hour going out to kill a third of mankind. So this is one of the things I think that really shows us that there is an intended parallel, but there are deal breakers with taking it too far because the sixth bowl says the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. So that's probably not a coincidence that Euphrates is mentioned in a boat and it, it's water dried up to prepare the way for the Kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. So this is talking about Revelation 
excuse me, Armageddon in Revelation 19. And there's a lot of parallels here. I think that there are armies, but one makes it clear that they are demonic spirits like frogs that gather nations together to go to war against God, right? Where that's pretty distinct and different from a bunch of uh, 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 angels drying up Euphrates so that armies can come from the east to do what? To kill a third of mankind. That is a wrath of God on people as opposed to this moment happening in order to gather demonic spirits, to gather nations, to go to war against God. It's If you want to look at it like that, it's a reverse. It's a reverse. One is gathering nations to go to war against God. One is um, a, a part of wrath to kill a third of mankind. So again, this is one of those things that I mean, it's maybe, but you also have to say it's probably not a coincidence that Euphrates was mentioned in both. I think the last one is similar. The, the trumpets and the bowls have similarities that are uncanny, but they also have differences. So I come to the same conclusion with that one. For example, it says in the seventh uh, trumpet, there were loud voices in heaven saying that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and the kingdom of Christ. And he is shall reign forever and ever in the 24 elders who are on the thrones, yada, yada, yada. I'm skipping down to verse 19. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake and heavy hail. Okay. So reading the last bowl, uh, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air in a loud voice. So there's a loud voice in both of them. The, out of the temple and the throne saying it is done. So that's similar to the other one. And there were flashes of lightning, rum, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake. So an earthquake in both. But it's different in such that uh, there had never been since the man was on the earth so great an earthquake that the great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. These things could not be happening and the rest of the, the bowls happen as well. The reason that there is a conclusion of sorts on both is because there is a conclusion on both. The, the first, as we already discussed, the seventh trumpet is the conclusion of the 70th week of Daniel. And then, but it's not done because there is a 75 day period that must occur after that. The 30 day period is the reclamation period as it's sometimes called because it ends with the final bit of wrath being poured out and the reclamation period begins, the sort of mopping up of the thing. So there is, in a sense, a conclusion to both the bowls which are poured out in, a, in that first 30 day period uh, after the end of the 70th week. And there's a sense of conclusion at the end of the seventh uh, trumpet as well. Again, I think that the least you have to recognize that the, is that there is no possibility of the seals being involved in this accordion theory. You just got to keep that one out of there or you're just going to be in serious contradiction the whole time. But I think you've got major contradictions with the other things because, of, for example, the first seal, trumpet, and bowl having literally nothing to do with one another, major deal breakers in the, in the second one, major deal breakers in the fourth one, major deal breakers... Uh, in the sixth one, some of the others may be making sense, but then of course we have the final deal breaker, which is that uh, the trumpets are introduced in the seals. Anyway, I think that will do it for me today. Also, I should mention that um, I there was an email correspondence where I was going to mention Revelation 14 and I didn't really get to it today, but I should say that Revelation 14 and that whole scene in the temple in heaven, which is a part of an interlude um, that also includes Revelation 13, I, I do actually think that it, that is probably a picture of the rapture. I think initially it's something that I, I knew before, but had sort of forgotten that that was part of that interlude. It wasn't connected with all this stuff. So yes, I think that the 14 uh, 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 section with the temple and the reaping, 
of the harvest. There is probably a picture of the rapture, but it doesn't have anything to do with any of this stuff. It's kind of a separate issue, though it is something that people come to after they do the last trumpet thing, too. So it's just another thing that people springboard to, but in that case, they springboard at least to something that is uh, correct. But anyway, that'll do it for me today. You can go to the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com, and I will see you next time. Bye.